You're listening to the Keef to the City podcast. All right, it's Battle of New York week on the Keep to the City Rangers podcast as the Rangers and Islanders meet for three times in eight days. The first meeting on Monday night went the Rangers' way. A very familiar start for a Rangers game for Rangers fans as they give up a goal just 18 seconds into the game, and it seemed like the same old Rangers from that standpoint. It seemed like uh, you know possibly they'd get blown out at home against their rival Islanders, but it actually went the other way uh, by the end. A blowout win against the Islanders for a win in the first Battle of New York this season. Artemi Panarin, who famously rejected the Islanders' offer for more money, about a million dollars per season more, to join the Rangers, had five points against the team he could have been playing for last night at the Garden. Um, And to think about the fact that him on the wing and possibly Matthew Barzell centering him on a line for the Islanders for the foreseeable future against the Rangers uh, just doesn't sit well with Rangers fans, especially for as good as Panarin has been. uh, One point off pace now to tie Yermer Yager's record 14 years ago, uh, the Rangers' all-time single-season point record of 123. Uh, Panarin's five-point night was spectacular. Uh, The Rangers really dominated right after that first goal they got themselves together were able to play their game their tempo something the islanders just can't keep up with in this rangers running gun system and i'm sure that the rangers would like to be more like the islanders i'm sure david quinn would rather have the defensive structure that the islanders have i'm sure he'd rather uh you know go with the great goaltending defensive effort every night try to win games two to one and three to two uh, but this is the team he has and this is the roster they've built and it's fun to watch and maybe they won't be able to sustain this for the entire season maybe they'll miss the postseason with this type of roster and this type of style of play but it's certainly been enjoyable after the last two seasons of getting behind early and unable to come back the Rangers can seemingly come back no matter what the score is as we've seen on multiple occasions this season uh and it's fun to watch and it was fun to watch on Monday night as they once again blew out the Islanders six to two and uh, Arthur Staple the Islanders beat writer for the Athletic joined me to talk about the Battle of New York and the first meeting between these two teams and also um you know some in-depth coverage of the Islanders what exactly they've been going through since their 15-0-2 stretch what they're looking for here coming up in the next six weeks by the trade deadline to put them over the hump to make sure they're back in the postseason again to try to build off their second round exit um, from last season so here we go all right, joining me today to talk Rangers Islanders with the teams uh, one game down and two left to go. Their weird three games and eight day stretch after not playing for basically the first uh, half of the season, just a little more than the first half of the season, is Arthur Staple, the Islanders beat writer for the Athletic. Arthur, how's it going today? I'm good, Neil. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to come on. I know it was uh, sort of a weird game at the Garden the other night. Um, it wasn't weird from the from the perspective that the Rangers gave up a very, very, very early goal, but a weird game in the sense that the Rangers were able to score on the Islanders, something that hasn't really been uh, a factor for opponents against the Barry Trotz Islanders uh, in now what is his second year coaching. Yeah, I always kind of feel like after uh, a long time covering this rivalry that uh, – weird tends to define it these days they don't have the the playoff series anymore to make it like a a real intense rivalry like they did back in the day but uh i kind of feel like um you know the islanders have had a really good run of games at the coliseum uh, rather at the garden over the last half a decade or so and the rangers uh going back to the coliseum days always used to seem to be able to pull out games there um and there's always something a little a little off about the games maybe it's just the intensity makes things a little bit stranger than usual but uh but yeah the the ability for the rangers and their skill guys to break through 
the other night was definitely different and unwelcome for the Islanders. Uh, you know, they were missing a couple of their kind of heartbeat guys in, in Cal Clutterbuck, who's out long-term, and Casey Zizekas, who had just gotten injured over the weekend. Um, and I think when they're missing those two guys, they're not necessarily big scorers, but they do kind of put the the forward groups in, in proper order. And, and I think you saw uh, when they're missing those guys, uh, other team's skill guys can get a little freer reign. And certainly Artemi Panarin had very free reign in that game. And, um, you know, that's kind of been the result for the Islanders. They've had a couple of games like that this year. They didn't really have too many last year. But, yeah, but, you know, the way that Barry Trotz has been able to kind of corral them to play a, a very simple, structured team style of defense has uh, usually served them pretty well. Monday night, it definitely didn't. Yeah, and Artemi Panarin, uh, after famously uh, you know picking the Rangers over the Islanders, leaving money on the table, he'll have to deal with the, the Islanders crowd for the first time on Thursday night in this rivalry. Obviously, it's not going to be at like JT Tavares levels, but I'm sure the, the crowd will let him hear it every time he touches the puck. Yeah, I, mean, I you know, I think it's always... Um, it's always funny to me that uh, there's always Ranger fans at the Coliseum, right? It's been going back all the way back to the pre-dynasty era. There's just there's a lot of lots of Ranger fans in Long Island. It's a bit of a cheaper ticket than uh, the games at the Garden, um, so you'll always have Ranger fans invading the Coliseum or wherever the Islanders play. But on the flip side, there's lots of Islander fans at the Garden these days, and uh, and certainly during the the Barclays Center era, it's, it was a lot easier for fans from Long Island to get to the Garden than it was to Brooklyn. No changing trains or anything, and I think that's carried over. You know, when when Jordan Everly scored that goal real quick in the Monday's game, it was pretty loud in the Garden. So I I think that always kind of ratchets it up. But but yeah, the Islander fans, uh, you know, they have very long memories. I can recall them booing guys like Dan Boyle and Christian Ehrhoff, who Garth Snow acquired their rights, uh, you know, for a pick and then couldn't sign them and traded them away, you know, traded their rights away. So if they remember those guys well enough, uh, they certainly remember this past summer. And, and yeah, our Timmy Panarin is definitely going to hear it. Well, Matthew Barzell has uh, really, since he's set foot in the NHL, he's been in that level of player where, you know, as an opponent, as a Rangers fan, you don't want to see him on the ice at any time. Uh, maybe he's not in that highest end level of Crosby and McKinnon and Ovechkin and those guys yet, but he's certainly on his way. And to think about what he does, you know, given the limited offensive help he has, and to see, to think about the fact that maybe he could have been playing on a line with Panarin for the next six, seven years is is a rather scary thought that gladly Rangers fans won't have to live with. Yeah, he's uh, he's. Certainly plenty dangerous all on his own, and I'm sure that uh, Ranger fans can remember he's had a couple of signature moments in his short career already against them, you know, scoring his first NHL goal on Henrik Lundqvist a couple of years ago, and then uh, a big five-point game two years ago at the Garden, uh, kind of a, a breakout uh, a game in January. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, he's he certainly gets up for these big games. He wasn't very good the other night, but... Um, you know, I think uh, I think as far as the skill guys go, which the Islanders don't have a lot of, he's definitely at the top of the list. And and uh, you know, got reunited with Jordan Everly and Anders Lee on the line last night when the Islanders broke out against the pretty hapless Red Wings. So I'm sure you'll see those three guys together again. And, and Barzell, you know, certainly is aware that, uh, that he and his uh, teammates laid an egg on Monday, and I imagine that uh, they'll respond the way the Islanders have responded pretty well to bad performances over the over this past year plus under Barry Trotz. For the type of player that Brazil is in trying to bring creativity to the offense and puck possession and all that, do you think he's bothered by the fact that he has to play in, in the Trotz defensive first style of play? Well, you know, he's up to 39 points this year. I mean, it's it's not uh, the 85 points that uh, pace that he set his Calder Trophy year, but, uh, but he did manage to get through a round of the playoffs last year and 
Um, you know, I think he, he's certainly professed that he would rather have that than some of the individual accolades. And, um, you know, if he's on a, you know, a 70 point pace, he's, he's on pace to score over 30 goals for the first time, I think, since he said he was in, in, uh, midget hockey, never even did it in, in, uh, the Western league. So, you know, he's kind of changed his game a little bit, uh, under trots last year was definitely a bit of an adjustment to, to sort of earn the trust and, and be more of a two-way player. Um, you know, I think he's still got the creativity. Um, you know, the Islanders don't draw a ton of power plays, and that's really where he could probably pad his uh, his uh, offensive numbers. But I think uh, I think he seems to have bought into the idea that you know sacrificing ten or fifteen individual points for ten or fifteen points in the standings uh, is worth it. You know, I think we'll see where they are. Uh, you know, in terms of how, how he thinks about the organization and how the organization thinks about him when they get to negotiating their, his next deal, which you know, that second deal has become a pretty big one now in the NHL for high-end guys like him. And uh, that'll be this summer, and we'll see we'll see what comes of it. But I don't think there's any real feeling for him that this is, uh, this is a frustrating system or something that's going to keep him from reaching his potential. You know, his, his goal is to win a Stanley Cup, and he probably feels he's closer to that now uh, with fewer individual points than he was two years ago. You've written it as the Trotsian formula of great goaltending, D-zone effort, and then trying to, you know, eke or squeak one more goal out than the opposition. And uh, I think that's the way David Quinn would like his team to play. I mean, this is sort of uh, an anomaly of what Rangers teams have been, at least since during the Henrik Lundqvist era, where it's sort of run and gun, and there's 10 goals a game in each Rangers game. Um, I think they'd like to adopt the the Islander system, I think they'd like to be better defensively overall, but uh, in this day and age in the NHL where, you know, every little clutch and grab is called, they want to maximize power play opportunities, it's sort of good to see that the the late 90s, early 2000s hockey formula can still win in, in Barry Trotz's system of defense first, and uh, someone who appreciates the low-scoring games, it is fun to watch the Islanders, even if not getting what you're getting out of Toronto Maple Leafs or Florida Panthers games. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's... Uh... It's certainly not a formula that he used uh, in that exact way when he was in Washington. You don't you don't do that with Alex Ovechkin and those high end guys that he had there. But I think he rightly assessed what he had coming in last year and said this is a team that's going to outwork everybody and be more disciplined than everyone. I think the real question for those of us who cover the Islanders or those of us you know those people out there who are fans of the Islanders was can this group that had given up so many goals, the most goals of any team in a decade, the year before, you know, essentially the same group minus John Tavares, minus Calvin DeHaan, you know, two pretty important guys. Could they be that group? And amazingly, they were. Um, I think a lot of people who watch the league closely still are amazed that they are able to continue to win with, uh, with so little true high-end skill and, and, and uh, you know, kind of the underlying numbers that some people still like to look at, whether it's shot, share, or things like that, that they're still not as... You know, they're, they're kind of down there at the bottom of the league every year in terms of shot attempts that they give up. But, uh, but that style, I think, is, uh, you know, certainly was embraced by, by this group, um, mostly veteran guys. They've sprinkled in a few younger guys here and there, but it is mostly a veteran group. And I think they were feeling a little sore about the, the, the hubbub around surrounding Tavares' departure and played with a chip on their shoulder a lot of last year. And, and this year, you know, I think uh, replacing Robin Leonard with Semyon Varlamov, uh, there was definitely more question marks after the great year Leonard had, but but the system has prevailed. Well, you know, whether it's Barry Trotz's system or, or Mitch Korn's goaltending wisdom, um, Varlamov has been really good. He was terrible against the Rangers, but uh, 
he's been good. Thomas Grace has been steady as he's been the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, they've definitely hit upon a winning formula. I'm not, you know, if they had managed to get Panarin, I'm not so sure it would have been the same formula. They certainly have had a lot more skill. And I think one of Trotz's best attributes as a coach in the NHL for going on, you know, into his third decade is he's adaptable to what he's got. And he, you know, he learns a lot of new things and I don't think he's too hung up on, uh, on the way that he thought a coach should be or a team should be 20 years ago. So I think that's helped them uh, quite a bit. And, uh, you know, just like I said, you know, and it's the little Amarillo mantra too is score one more than the other guys. He's not too concerned about flashy numbers or underlying numbers or anything like that. So, uh, you know, the, I guess the real question for them is, do they have enough to, to get to secure a playoff spot uh, with, in a division that's proven to be very difficult? And do they have enough to, to get through the Washingtons and the Pittsburghs and the Carolinas that you know you have to get through to try to get to the conference final or Stanley Cup? And We'll see in the next couple of weeks whether the Islanders feel like they, they do have enough or whether they need to go out and, and get some reinforcements. But, uh, but, yeah, as a regular season team, I think they've, you know, through whatever, 130 games almost under trots, I think they've, they've shown that this formula can succeed in the NHL. The Rangers have their weird, heavily criticized goaltending situation right now where uh, you know guys are getting two-week layoffs. It looks like Lundqvist won't play for about a half a month by the time he comes back and then mix that in with the All-Star game and the mandated five days off. And you just mentioned great goaltending from the Islanders' standpoint. And they almost have not even a 60-40 split, no real true number one, it seems like. If the playoffs were to start today and you know it's game one for the Islanders, who, who gets the nod and you know what's the leash for them come uh, must-win playoff time? You know, I think it would be Varlamov. Much the same way it was a pretty even split last year, but you you got the feeling that uh, that Leonard would be the guy uh, just because his highs were a little higher uh, during last regular season, and it ended up it ended up being Leonard. And uh, you know, he kind of rode they rode him all the way through to the end of that second round loss. Uh, I think with Varlamov, that's probably a similar factor at work. You know, Barry Trotz and the organization can say we're going to go with the guy who's playing the best once we get to April. But also, there's you know there's there's a business aspect to this. Thomas Grice is a is an unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. They signed Varlamov to a four year deal uh, for five million dollars a year last summer. Um, this is a guy they've clearly committed to for at least a few years. They've got uh, much the same way the Rangers do. They've got a Russian star goalie and Ilya Sorokin waiting in the wings over in Moscow, who's uh, still seemingly on target to come over at the end of the season. So I think uh, I think they want to see what they have in Varlamov uh, if it, you know when push comes to shove at playoff time. Mostly because his highs have been higher during the regular season. I think he's been the the better goalie at, at, at more difficult times for them uh, and more intense times for them. But also, you know, when this when next season rolls around, I, I have to believe it's going to be Varlamov and Sorokin uh, as the as the two goalies in net. So. You're probably going to go with the guy who's going to be here long, longer, I guess, uh, when you start the playoffs. You recently wrote it on The Athletic about the sort of Islander Summit where all the scouts come together, uh, headed by Lou Lamarillo, to try to figure out where they stand as an organization now, what pieces they might need at the end of next month, and so on. As it currently stands for the Islanders, what type of moves do you see them possibly targeting within the next six weeks? What do you think they need to uh, maybe get back to the second round, maybe possibly even get over that hump of the second round if they can return to the playoffs? Uh, what do you think they need this season? You know, they've needed a forward pretty much since day one. They, you know, they had that that remarkable 15-0-2 run early in the year to really kind of cement themselves in the top three in the uh, in the division 
Uh, and they've been pretty much a 500 team since then. You know, I mentioned Clutterbuck uh, with a, uh, a serious skate cut. He's probably out uh, till towards the end of the regular season. Um, and even with Clutterbuck in the lineup, just, uh, you know, they don't get a ton of scoring from their wingers. Jordan Everly started to come on lately. But uh, but really their middle six uh, on the wings has not been really consistent. Derek Broussard was signed to be the number three center. Um he, I don't think he scored a goal yet this year as the number three center. He's got all his goals playing on the wing, and he went back to the wing last night. Uh, so you'll probably see him on the wing on that second line uh, for the next game at the Coliseum against the Rangers. So, you know, whether it's a number three center uh, or, you know, a, a top nine winger, there's certainly guys like that out there. You know, and a lot of the names that have kind of been bandied about in the rumor mill, whether it's Tyler Toffoli, uh, maybe a guy like Connor Sheary, who's kind of a buy-low guy out of Buffalo. Um, and then as you know, thinking about number three centers of teams that are, that are struggling, a guy like Riley Nash, who does have uh, a year left on his deal as a guy who's been, you know, we've thrown his name around a lot just because we don't know if Columbus is going to be a buyer or a seller at this point, but, uh, but if they sell, he seems like a kind of guy who fits what Barry Trotz is looking for. So that's one aspect. And, and they've lost Adam Pellick for the year to an Achilles injury. Um, he was on their top defensive pair and, um, you're not going to be able to replace him on the trade market, that's for sure. But if there, you know, there's a guy, in Alec Martinez, who does have a year left on his deal, who's a lefty, who's certainly been around. Um, you know, his name might intrigue the Islanders. Although that's, you know, you're you're thinking a little bit more long term on that since he does have a year left. Um, or a guy like Brendan Dillon in San Jose, um, who's a stay-at-home type of guy, the way that Pellick is. Uh, and has an expiring contract, so maybe that's a little more attractive since the Islanders do have a couple of young guys on D that they like and, and don't really want to alter the chemistry too much. But um, but Lou has been pretty quiet as GM of this team. You know, he's made exactly one trade, and that was to get Matt Martin back uh, for a minor leaguer to Toronto. Um, and other than that, it's really been nothing. Uh, you know, I think he took a couple swings at the deadline last year, but nothing too intense. And I think this year now. Uh, is a little bit more pressure on him. The expectations seem to have been set that uh, that this is a good competitive team. And um, you know, since Lou came in, they've tried to build up some of their you know their prospect pool a little bit by holding on to all of their draft picks. Um, but perhaps now going forward is time to to think about selling. You know, I don't. It doesn't seem like anybody outside of Chris Kreider is going to command a real top uh, price, whether you know a first rounder and a prospect or or a higher prospect and maybe a second rounder. And I can't see them. I can't see an Islander Ranger trade to help the Islanders <laughs> go deep in the playoffs for Chris Kreider, even though he's certainly someone that the Islanders would love to have. Um, so I, you know, I think that the costs won't be too, too high. And it's really a matter of how competitive the market's going to be and how far Lamarillo is willing to go. Um, you know, whether it's prospects, which their pool is not exceptionally deep, uh, or picks, which they do have, a, you know, all their full complement this coming draft and the one after that. Um, so we'll have to see. You know, I, you're never going to hear too much about what Lou is up to, and that's going back decades now. But uh, but the the, the whispers uh, that I hear from outside of the Islanders around the league are that that Lou is hunting and kind of stealthily looking to improve this team because I think he understands that. Uh, that where they were at the end of that 17 point streak is, is about as good as this team can go as it's currently comprised and probably needs a little more scoring. And, and now with Pelicat, maybe a little bit 
a little bit better defending uh, to, to be able to make that playoff run that they want to make. Well, with that 15-0-2 and 0, 0 uh, stretch, they were able to build that cushion that sort of let them hang around in the top three of the Met. And with the Met being clearly the most talented, deepest division uh, in the league, they're struggling to hang on to that third spot right now and, and battling to get stay out of the wild card berth. What do you think, for you personally, and I guess also internally, how do you think the Islanders feel about this team? Do they think, I mean, certainly they think they're a playoff team, but do you think they think they're a second-round team, an Eastern Conference? final team is there is there a player that they think could put them over the top uh do you think they're really a true contender this season that's hard to say you know i i would have even at even at full health um it just isn't a dynamic enough lineup and really when they go cold uh on their you know scoring you know when, when they've had their their scoring droughts they've had a couple through december and they had you know they they got shut out in toronto by michael hutchinson who hasn't been playing very well uh, it is reminiscent of that second round series against Carolina last year, where the first two games the Islanders were by far the better team. They lost a one nothing overtime game in Game One. Uh, you know, Carolina had two goals in less than a minute in the third period to turn a one nothing Islanders lead into a two one deficit that, that held up. Uh, and then you know they didn't really they weren't really able to, to kind of withstand the onslaught from the Hurricanes down in down in Raleigh. So um, you know when you think about those key times and can they contain other teams? I think some other teams have started to figure them out a little bit in the defensive zone. There's been a couple more lapses this year, I think, than when they were playing at their best last year. So, yeah, you know, I think even just to change it up a little bit, and I don't really see that they have anybody in their system right now. You know, they've seen Oliver Wallstrom, who was, you know, one of their top picks in the drafts in 2018. He came up for a a nine-game stay during their big run. He didn't score, but he looked okay. Um, Otto Koivula is up now. He might get in the game if Casey Zizekas is still out tomorrow night. Um, he's another prospect who kind of came out of nowhere and had a great year last year in the AHL. Andrew Ladd is still down in the AHL, a guy who can still score occasionally. Kiefer Bellows is down there, another former first-round pick. But I don't see any of these guys as someone who can move the needle that much. I think it, I'd be certainly interested to see a guy like Tyler Toffoli, who can score in the league, can play a heavy style, um, and really, I, I think they're you know they're they're only looking necessarily for one change. It's a very tightly knit room. The chemistry has been good going back even to the Garth Snow days. It's always been that way when they when they weren't a very good team. They've been a very tight group. So I'm curious to see if they could get someone who who kind of uh, you know bumps up the offensive skill level without sacrificing much to their system. Um, how that kind of reorders their forward group because it, it is at its best. They're they're a four line team. They're they're a three defensive pair team, and with the injuries that they've had, uh, they really kind of piece things together through the season. And to have the record that they have can you know is surprising the most, even when they're fully healthy. The fact that they've been doing it with some key injuries to their to kind of their core guys uh, makes it a little little more impressive, but also a little bit more of a concern going forward. So. You know, I, I, I certainly think that if they're just going to make one move and they can only sacrifice a couple of mid-round picks, uh, or if that's how Lou Lemro is feeling, I would imagine that a, a decent top six or top nine winger is probably the ideal scenario for them because they do need a little boost scoring-wise, and I think they're they're playing some guys regularly right now who might not, uh, you know, who aren't real scoring threats and uh, and aren't even when they do you know, are able to produce, it's not a consistent production. So, uh, so that would probably be the, the biggest need. And I, you know, I think if you poll Islander fans, whether it's on social media or in person, uh, they need 10 guys to be able to, <laughs> to improve this team. 
but that I think is, uh, you know, that's the modern day fan. It's I'm sure Ranger fans feel the same way about their club and, and lots of other teams. But, uh, but as far as the Islanders go, I think, I think one guy on the wing who can put the puck in the net with, with decent regularity would be the, the change that they need most. All right, Arthur, I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about the Islanders um, as the Battle of New York continues, the second game on Thursday, the third one next week, uh, the very weird scheduling this season. But um, for as weird as it was and as uh, lonely as it was to not have any Rangers-Islanders this season, I think it's it maybe not such a bad thing to have it uh, crammed into one-week stretch. <laughs> yeah, it definitely gets everybody talking, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, Arthur, thanks again. Thanks, Neil, anytime. All right, thanks again to Arthur for taking the time to come on and talk about the Islanders. Uh, the second game between these two teams is Thursday night at the Coliseum on La Island, and the third game will be on Tuesday back at MSG. So three games in eight days. They'll meet again uh, next month, and that'll do it for the season series. So Rangers have the Battle of New York right now. They're up one nothing. They need these points against the Islanders. They need these points, any Metropolitan Division points they can get. They, they really just need any points they can get at this point. They still have a very long uphill battle to climb if they think they're going to get to the postseason for the first time in three years. Uh, somewhere between 97 and 100 points looks like it's going to get them in. And on that note, they probably can only afford 10 more losses, 10 more regulation losses the rest of the season. So uh, 39 games left, 10 regulation losses. Yeah, they've got a lot of work to do. That'll do it for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Friday. Say-